Yeah. Well, there'll be a leaf blower in the background. I hope that's okay. It's the coming of sound. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming to get us. my it's the doom to fail podcast and that is our new catchphrase oh my it's nice because it harkens back to the past and yet reaches forward to the future my name is tim dobbs and boy if i could be any animal it'd probably be an ostrich or an emu can't decide and with me as ever through the windy road that is the world wide web it's it's the uh, uh quintessential queen of alliteration Catherine Kogert. She sells seashells by the seashore and says it's good to be here. I'm asking a lot from you there. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to get wordplay out of you. I mean, that's tough on the spot. You you weren't given any warning. (laughs) As regular listeners of this show know, we have uh, a number of series and we like to uh, sled down the series seeing all the different possibilities along the way until we reach the bottom and we find that one series that will give us hot cocoa. (laughs) Particularly this week, we're doing one of our favorites. It's film genres. That's right. Film genres. Catherine. Look at your notebook and see which, uh, which particular genre we're talking about. Okay, we're talking about the coming of sound and musicals. Ooh. Musicals? <laughs> yes. Exciting. Uh, so, you know, last month we talked about silent films, right? And their relation to slapstick? Yes. It's fun to watch people fall down. And you don't need a lot of sound to get the idea across. Right. Uh... And we learned that Thomas Edison intended to include sound with his kinetograph using what he called a phonograph, but uh, synchronization issues called the phonograph caused the phonograph to just completely fall on its face. Right. Well, the phonograph, that's also like, that was popular, but for music, you know, freestanding music, right? <laughs> like, it, it wasn't a failure of an invention. Right. It just didn't work for syncing with music. Right. Right. Um. So, this month we're going to talk about how sound, they fix the synchronization issue, and uh, the impact and the genres that were born out of sound. I'm sure we can guess already that they're musicals. And also, we said it already, but maybe they weren't listening. Um, Yeah, okay, so I guess I don't totally understand what's so hard about getting a phonograph to play with the music thing. Just drop the needle on the record at the right time. You know, it's like syncing up Dark Side of the Moon with The Wizard of Oz. Just when the lion roars, you drop the needle and away you go, right? Yeah, huh. sure. I mean, but there's two major issues here. Stupid past people. Can't solve anything. <laughs> First of all, what if the record, like, skips a groove unexpectedly? It's, like, impossible to get uh, back to where you were. Right. That would be frustrating. Right. Also, phonograph 
phonograph playtimes are shorter than film reels, so you it's just super complicated to have to like switch it at like the right time or like pause them at the right time and switch. Ugh. It's just oh, I thought I thought that uh, the silent film reels were generally really short. They were, but once they started to get longer, that became an issue with the phonograph. Um, another I reason, see. and you know, it wasn't another. Another reason that uh, sounds really hard before this particular solution we're going to talk about is: Do I even remember? Let me think here. Oh, what if? Okay. Is the fact that what if your phonograph is playing at a different rate than your film? Right? Then you have like this amplified desynchronization happening. Oh. Would that, I mean, would, would you expect that? I mean, if you recorded, you know, 35 minutes of music and you had a 35 minute reel, then what's the problem? Oh, I guess because if you were trying to have someone talk and you just slightly messed it up. Yeah. Yeah. That happens yeah. sometimes when we edit this podcast. It does, yeah. Yeah, Listeners you get a little podcast. off, and by the end, you're you're like you know a minute off. <laughs> okay. Um, that's why we sometimes talk over each other. Yes, that's why. I yeah, that's what I was thinking too. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> all right, this is going super well. So all right, so how how the heck did we fix this thing? What's up? Okay, what we're gonna do is instead of using cylinders which have a needle which you the which that needle picks up vibrations of from dragging it across the surface and those vibrations translate into sound we're going to actually mm-hmm. have a, a like a sound reel that is right next to the film reel and that sound will, reel will allow light to pass through it um, it will pass through a particular wavelength and intensity, and you can convert that wavelength and intensity into an electrical pulse. And your reader mm. will convert that electrical pulse back into music. Okay, so the wavelength and intensity, that sounds like... Well, intensity is pretty easy. It's just how, um, basically how opaque is the... I'm picturing this, this sort of looks like a film strip. Is that right? Yeah. And, but but it doesn't really have pictures on it. It's just uh, black or not black or some degree in between. Yeah. So then the wavelength, though, the, the way you modulate wavelength would be through what? Like a prism? or No, a prism splits apart wavelength. Well, I like let's say this, you but... made the, the sound film like a particular color. If you shoot white light through that, then you're going to have a particular wavelength. You get green light or something through it. But yeah. so then... I'm not actually right, sure so about wh- the wavelength part, but whatever. Yeah. Well, because my only thought is I'm not sure why wavelength matters because sound is essentially, I guess it's frequency and amplitude. Um, so maybe you need two variables. Uh, I could kind of buy that because amplitude is just how, how loud it is and frequency is the, the pitch. Right. So, yeah, maybe the intensity gives how loud it needs to be and the, the color gives uh, gives what frequency it's at. Sure. That's super smart. Isn't it? Uh, this yeah. invention has a bunch of different names. The triergon system, the photocinematophone, the audion yes. tube, and the vitaphone. Even better! <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I think audion tube is where I landed. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately for Tim, the vitaphone wins. Oh, man. That sounds like vitamins or something boring. <laughs> it's not even Flintstone caplet form. 
All right. Well, interesting. I always like to talk about wavelengths and frequencies and oh, Tim, um, I know you do various other things. But um, perhaps we should take a break and relax with a scene from the jazz singer. What is this? Set, set this up. What's so the, the jazz what, singer. What is the year at the minimum? Oh, 1933, I want to say. Let me double check that really fast. The uh, jazz singer is in 1927, and it's the first talkie, but it's also kind of a silent film, and I think you'll pick that up here. There you go. Back in a second. And Dallas. Oh, I'm going to take you to Coney Island. Yeah? Yes, I'm going to ride on the shoot to shoot. Oh. And, you know, in the dark mill? Yeah. Ever been in the dark mill? Oh, no, I well, with me, it's all right. I'll kiss you and hug you. You'll see Now, Mama, Mama, stop now. You're getting kittenish. Mama, listen, I'm going to sing this like I will if I go on the stage, you know, with this show. I'm going to sing it jazzy. Now, get this. Blue sky, smiling at me, 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 me. Nothing but little blue sky, do I see? from the jazz singer 1927's jazz singer one of the very first few talkies although right there at the end that was actually uh not not in the original movie surprise (laughs) um and we did that because you might have heard it sort of convert from the talkie to sort of a silent film and just like you would see for a silent film there were some frames of text of dialogue instead of actually saying the dialogue so we thought we'd get you in on that. Uh, if you want to see the video, yeah, we'll so put that up on the blog. That's doomed to fail podcast.blogspot.com. Uh, absolutely. Uh, what I'm interested in is why did why would they make it a half talkie? This was like a novelty, right? Wouldn't it have been. I mean, this seems like weirdly artistic to do a half talkie. It's very. It's like the artist today. <laughs> you know. Well, there's nothing wrong with doing art. I mean, cinema is art, so why not? No. I just wouldn't expect it because uh, a novelty like this, you would just, it's, it's, it could be artistic and hugely creative to just even figure out how to use voice the first time, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't know. This is one of the f- f- first talkies and I find it confusing that they only kind of went halfway with it. That would be like, well, I guess Wizard and Oz wasn't entirely in color either. No. Uh Hmm. And something that I think is really interesting is the actual dialogue. You can't really understand it very well. It is more about emoting. Wait. So they were just like, 
I've, I've sounded like he was talking fairly clear in that Yeah, video. but can you hear anything his mom is saying? No. No. She just, she was confusing. Yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting. Isn't it? Huh. Well, there you go. The jazz singer. So, the major genre that we're getting out of the introduction to sound is, of course, musicals. I mean, what else are you going to do, right, Tim? Uh, non-musicals. That's later. <laughs> That's the alternative. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair point. Well, this comes out of, I mean, I, I would totally buy this as a, uh, you're still thinking of ways that stage things transition into filmed things, right? Mm-hmm. And so this would be, this would be a natural jump. Right. You're not at the point now where like cinema is a totally different thing. It's more like, how do we make a musical into a, or, you know, so it's, it's more pure entertainment than it is, um, I don't know, a, a narrative storytelling, I guess. Does that make sense? True. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we see that the sort of the split between narrative storytelling and pure musical like phantasma uh, between these two major players. We have Bugsy Berkeley, who, if you don't recognize the name, you you almost certainly know his style. He's famous for these huge, like almost psychedelic musical scenes, like crane shots where you sort of go over the dancers and you like see them from below and they like the dancers make shapes like kaleidoscopes. Um, Yeah. Um, A lot of rotation, rotating platforms and yes, uh, the stage changing. We'll we'll post a video on the blog of this. And uh, boy, I was I was just going like, wow, that's. That stage must have been really hard to make. I mean, <laughs> that's true. It's true. Yeah. Was so Bugsley Berkeley was the producer? He was the Is director, that right? or was he actually? He was director. Okay. Yeah, he's a director. Um, but he wasn't but, in the in the pieces. No, no. Oh, okay. Um, interesting thing about Forty Second Street, the clip we're going to post on the website. That movie is actually split into two very, very distinct halves, and it has one director for the first half, and for the second half, it has Bugsley Berkeley. So it's almost like watching two different movies. It's very weird. Oh boy, a lot of uh, a lot of films split in two in this uh, in this area of music or area of yeah. Film. I think it was a split hmm. time. Uh, sure. Yeah. So. so- uh, oh, and a lot of can-can girls. I want to throw that in. Just oh, yeah. That. There's also yeah. an homage to Bugsy and the Coen brothers, the dude. Uh, the Big Lebowski. That's I'm sorry. The, you're thinking the Big Lebowski. That's embarrassing. Featuring the dude, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> ah, hipster college kids are going to hate you. So, uh, that's Bugsy Berkeley, and, and he's one of the big, 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 big players. Uh, around this time of, of putting musicals into film. And of, also, another interesting thing about him is, uh, as, even though it was a transition from uh, something that would have been put on the stage, you know, if you're doing a crane shot, that's not something you can show on the stage. The audience will never see it. And so he's doing things with it that you really only could do with uh, film, which is cool. Right. I think that's amazing and very impressive. Uh, and he's definitely also making use of the bigger budgets he has. Hmm. Well, so uh, speaking of, of grandeur, uh, another big player is, of course, Fred Astaire, who is a, a real dancer. That's that's what I know Fred yes. Astaire for. Oh, yeah. Um, 
his big thing is to make dance part of the movie narrative. His dance and performance, unlike Bugsy, where it's like, this is just going to be an insane performance that has nothing to do with the narrative, Fred Astaire makes his performances part of the story. So help me out here. Is that called dialectic? Right? When the sort of strange musical thing that's happening is also literally happening in the movie world versus oh. when the strange musical thing that's happening is just like a, a crazy thing to show what people are feeling, but it's not actually literally happening in the movie world. Well, diegetic means it refers to diegetic. any sound, and it means that the sound mm. is actually, the characters are aware of the sound, and it's on screen. Right. If the characters are aware well, of that's it what and I'm it's off screen, yes. If the characters are aware of it mm. and it's off screen, it's metadiegetic, and if the characters aren't aware of it, it's non-diegetic. Okay, so can we apply that to dance, or is that only uh, sound? It's usually sound. But if we're at least to, to, to use a non-literal form of diegetic, we can say that uh, Fred Astaire's dances are diegetic. Would that be fair? Sure, yeah. I mean, the music is diegetic for his dances, so. Hmm. There you go. But... Yeah. And who? who uh, no one's even going to complain about the dancing, because he dances like an angel. He truly does. Let's uh let's put a clip uh, on here. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. There, <laughs> you have my permission, I guess. Thank um, you, thank you, Red mm -hmm, Leader. Mm -hmm. Red two, go go. We have <laughs> colors and code names on this podcast. That's not wholly necessary, <laughs> but gosh, it's a lot of fun. <sighs> so, here's what's happening here. It's. A big stage <laughs> with a lot of dudes who are dressed real, real good, right? Really, and quite, quite well. It looks like they might be in Paris. I see an outline of the Eiffel Tower and the scenery of the stage. And they part, and Fred Astaire walks down between them. I just got an invitation through the mail. Your presence requested this evening is formal. Top hat, white tie, and tail. Nothing now could take the wind out of my sails. Cause I'm invited to step out this evening in top hat, white tie, and tails. Oh, I'm putting on my top hat, tying up my white tie, brushing off my tails. I'm duding up my shirt front, putting in the shirt stud. Beautiful. I, I, is this really diegetic, though? Or, like, I don't know. It is diegetic. A lot of guys in top hats. All right. Okay. So, uh, so, this is sort of an interesting way that he's incorporated the dance as a narrative. Because in top hat, he's a performer, and this is his big performance. What? Yeah. That just seems lazy. That's like, let's do a play about me doing a play about this play. So all I have to do is get up there and do something, and it's legitimate. No, I mean, it's the only song that is his performance. All the other songs in Top Hat are part of the narrative, actually. But this is just his, because, I mean, he has to perform once if he's a performer. Yeah. Well, and that explains, um, that certainly explains how you can justify there being, like, 50 men in Top Hats and Tails. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, let's see, what well, did I want to say Regardless, he looks good. He does look good. 
He looks so good that he's actually considered a dandy, which is defined as a man unduly devoted to style, neatness, and fashion in dress and appearance. Well, unduly is, uh, that's, that's just one man's opinion. <laughs> Sounds like the opinion of a man in overalls. Or a guy in an orange t-shirt, uh -oh. Tim. Uh, orange is, is the happiest color. <laughs> mm -hmm. Orange means caution. Is that what you're trying to tell the world? Caution! Yeah, Tim I, here. I'm poisonous. Don't eat me. <laughs> okay. So... This is, uh, you, you wrote on your notes here, you have major character archetype in screwball comedies. The dandy is a major character archetype? Oh, absolutely. At least in screwball comedies? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, so he's able to, this is sort of where the dandy comes from. The dandy is able to work on the same intellectual level as his female counterparts. They can have witty repartee together. Oh, he doesn't lovely. have to talk down to her. He doesn't have to shove a grapefruit in his face, a la public enemy. Um, that's a very famous scene in the Public Enemy, famous gangster film, where what's his name? Yes, this Jimmy is the Cagney, one. No. like shoves a grapefruit in his girlfriend's face, <laughs> and that's how he breaks up with her. That's awful. Huh? <laughs> yeah. I guess our. Uh, that could be worse. <laughs> could be acid. I don't know. <laughs> it's a 2010 attitude. Um, <laughs> but anyhow, but so the dandy is, is he's a, he's a gentleman, right? He's a gentleman. He wants the lady to be happy. He often knows how to run her life better than she does, but he also doesn't talk down to her for it. Hmm. So it's a milder, milder for, form of sexism. Exactly. It's paternalism. It's, yeah. It's paternalism. Exactly. Um. And it's as good as it gets in the 1930s, as far as women's rights in film. So. Well, luckily not living in the 1930s, we can say fair enough and move on. <laughs> um, however, dandies tend to bring a lot of like sexual energy, right? Because there's like a, such an electric conversation between them and their counterpart. Um, so there's innuendos mm. and there's all sorts of crazy stuff happening. So, Did you ever I see mean, uh, North by Northwest? Yes. The scene where he first meets her in the train, there's, you know, the hero just meets the lady in the train, and you don't know if she's good or bad, and they do all this, like, you know, flirtatious repartee. I was just like, ooh, mm -hmm. getting chills here. So, yeah. I mean, Yeah, that's, that's, no, uh, that's exactly it. <laughs> that'll go for it. Yeah, exactly. Because you don't just, I guess, I mean, grapefruit's in the face. Not gonna get the uh, not gonna get the old vapors going. Not a big panty dropper, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, writing it down. Noted. noted. <laughs> um, so while this sort of sexual energy sells movie theater tickets really, really well, uh, churches and other like sort of conservative organizations in the 1930s start boycotting cinemas, especially Mae West films because she's kind of super raunchy. She's, uh, yeah, bomb bombastic, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, down with this sort of thing. That sort of uh, protestation, right? Right. So this is where we get the Hayes Production Code. And I know you know about the Hayes Production Code. 
Do you want to explain it? We mentioned it last month. Yeah. But we will mention it in greater detail now. Page production code was a self-enforced uh, code, which basically because the uh, studios were saying, oh, shoot, they're about to uh, put, you know, enforce uh, uh, restrictions on us. We better come up with one ourselves so that we look real good and squeaky clean and people still come and uh, pay us lots of money. And so the production code involved uh, a number of just rules that basically made people act good on screen. And it included right. things like uh, the famous I Love Lucy twin beds for married people. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's uh, no white slavery, which is, oh, gosh, that's awful. I mean. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Oh, that's. Mm. Anyway, moving on. There's Jeez, nor is there miscegenation. Oh, what? Miscegenation? Yeah, miscegenation being relations between whites and blacks. Oh, I didn't know we had a word for that. Uh, isn't Miscegen- that depressing? Yeah. Uh, that's oh, awful. history. Gross. You just run into this. Oh, jeez. Well, let's, uh, mm, moving on. Uh, you also can't show how you would commit a crime. So no, you know, uh, dude is standing there uh, mixing up all the ingredients that are clearly labeled to make a bomb. Nothing like that. No. And I think probably even even more uh even more ridiculous, right? Or more strict about not showing right? Like like Ocean's Eleven couldn't work, right? Yeah. Uh and then the justice system must be depicted as just. So yes. essentially it was like boy, I mean it kinda sounds like they were sort of just making they were like, hey, what we'll do is make pro-government propaganda films, and the government will be cool with that. And then thumbs up, and we all get rich. Right? <laughs> That's kind of what it feels like to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, the Hayes production code is subverted on kind of a regular basis, but... Right. You know, Well, whatever. you have to pretend like you're doing this. I exactly. Mean... Exactly. So, so why did it take so long for the production code to get in place? I mean, because movies had been around for, you know, 20 years or something. Why now? I mean, just dandies? It's just dandies? Well, <laughs> Fred Astaire made the whole thing happen. Uh, like I mean, you also have gangster films with lots of violence. And, um, like, fallen women films is another big genre that they're trying to play down here. Um, but now that movies have sound, like, when you go to a theater, you're sitting in darkness and you have talking in your ear and images in front of you. And between those... You're kind of in a trance, right? Hmm. I mean, we've all been to the movie theaters. We've all experienced this. Yes. Um, <laughs> and so I think it's much easier to be influenced them, by them, and they're much more powerful. Does that... Right, it's just perceived as a much bigger... I mean, yeah, I think I can buy that. I mean, certainly... <laughs> I mean, I'm bored with most sound movies, let alone ones without sound. When they don't even have sound, I'm just like... <laughs> You know, generally, I'm looking to fill out all my senses, you know, just <laughs> kind of have yeah. as much going as possible. At least two things so, stimulating um, each sense at a time. Yeah. Well, it's uh, uh, Jad Abumrod over at Radio Lab. Uh, so I'm give a talk once where he suggested that uh, generally we can sort of we have five layers of listening that we can sort of handle mm-hmm. um, anyway from the like totally verbal all the way to the sort of background noise and then there's like layers of sound effects and all this stuff and then we can sort of perceive all that and so if we i mean i don't, I don't know how your brain works 
but uh but generally if i don't have a verbal input my mind just starts wandering and so i'm only kind of half watching the thing whereas with the sound totally buy it they just they get me and they fill their thoughts in with my thoughts exactly um and so it's not until now that cinema actually has a huge cultural effect because if we're trying to restrict what they can and can't do that's showing just how big the cultural effect film is starting to have on people. Yeah. Do you think it's getting... So, I mean, I I guess the internet's a new thing, but let's just cut back to, to 15 years ago before the internet was uh, very much of anything where you would just say, oh, television. Television is the thing that is... I don't know. That's what drives the water cooler talk, so to speak. The The national right. conversation is television. I mean, do you think we're right. getting to a point here where, where film was getting to be in that? Like, you could just say to your buddy at work, oh, did you see the new uh, Bugsy Berkeley thing? Yeah. Absolutely. Look at those dames, huh? <laughs> so, yeah, I guess. Interesting. So, we're, we're, we, we've... And uh, then you would slap your secretary's ass as she walked by. Uh, I was imagining them at a construction site, but, you know, either way... <laughs> Secretaries have to, I mean, you got to do paperwork at construction sites. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So that is the coming of sound. Uh, pretty cool. It shows that we're getting to a point where it's just a big deal. Film matters, everyone. Film matters. Film matters. And that is the Doom to Fail podcast for this week. Tune in next week when we will be talking about, I think we are back to happy hour. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. Cool. It's going to be great. There's going to be wine. Exciting. Until then, uh, have yourself an awesome week, and we'll see you. Ah, Have yourself an awesome week. (laughs) We'll see you sometime. That's Catherine Kogrid over there. And Tim Dobbs over here. (laughs) Bye. 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 Take me home, I'm feeling stressed Put down your phone and I'll tell you what's happening next Honey, you're passing the test She sees what she wants to see ooh, ooh, ooh.